Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of the Esports Boom podcast, your weekly esports business wrap-up. My name is Maurice Eisenman, and I'm, as always, joined by my co-host, Anton Ferraro. Anton, how are you? Uh, I'm doing really good. New York is pretty cold right now. Um, It's not quite as warm as L.A., so for those of our listeners out there, just know that we are extremely jealous. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's, I mean, it's, uh, the holidays are starting. Uh, It's, we're recording this on a Wednesday. It's the last day of Hanukkah, and Christmas is just right around the corner. Um, For those of you listening, uh, next week, we're planning on a kind of a wrap-up podcast because it's probably a quiet week with regards to news. Yeah, I think we're going to go over what happened in the year and then make try and make some predictions for 2019 that we can be held accountable for in 20, no, 2018 and be held accountable for in 2019. Yeah, um, well, let's get right into it. I think one of our big stories has to do with YouTube and Face It, right? Yeah, so um, YouTube announced that they will be incorporating loot drops into uh, Faceit streams. Um, so Faceit, I believe, runs ECS, which was a big tournament last weekend. And while watching, you were basically uh, able to collect uh, Counter-Strike gear. Um, I will be the first to admit that I'm not the most um, knowledgeable about drops, but I thought that that was definitely a right step for YouTube and Counter-Strike integration. You know, when you think about... Um, how esports is a digital sport. Okay, now we're finally starting to see that actually being leveraged. Uh, Mo, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought it was interesting because Twitch obviously has done something like this before um, with Twitch Prime of having integrated like these type of rewards, maybe not loot boxes per se, although... Um, there was a time when if you watch certain, if you have Twitch Prime and you connect it and you watch like Overwatch streamers, you would get loot boxes in Overwatch. This is kind of an evolution of this. Um, what's interesting when you're looking at the rewards, um, a lot of it is limited be, limited to the in-game items. There are some in-game items because um, it's not the publisher. Like uh, YouTube is working with Faceit, that's a third-party organizer, whereas Twitch works a lot, works with publishers primarily. So they can give you, for instance, Hearthstone. If you watch the Hearthstone streamer and you had Twitch Prime, you get you got like a specific golden pack. And all those things were actually in-game items. Whereas for this, what's really cool... It was mostly physical items, right? This, that's, the face it one. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think it's, it's cool as well because um, I think it makes it a lot more real for people. Uh, being like, oh, I can, if I watch this, uh, like, if I watch the whole season, uh, I have a, you know, a 20% chance of getting a keyboard or something like that. That's No, totally. I mean, like, when we were at Azubu, one of our biggest streaming partners was, um, gosh, I'm trying to, I don't even remember exactly which tournament it was, but we saw that whenever it was integrated with something like a reward system, the viewership would just skyrocket because you had so many people just sitting and watching. Um, I mean, it's definitely a, a uh, driver of viewership. There were a couple other aspects of the story that I think should just be outlined. Um, if you kind of take a step back and just look at everything that uh, Google and YouTube have done with esports, their main focus for 2017 seemed to be Counter-Strike, um, and they've kind of gone really, really deep. So I commend them for that strategy, and I think it's kind of been paying off. Uh, maybe two weeks ago, we saw a report that, you know, um, their viewership for Counter-Strike was, you know, had grown much more since... Um, God, what was it? When they moved ECS to YouTube, they experienced, I think, 25% of the viewership that it had on Twitch. And then now it has kind of slowly climbed back. 
Um, so I think that's kind of a move in the right direction. Other things that are interesting about this story is that this Cancun tournament, it didn't have a live audience. Um, they were basically trying to create a premier experience for the players, and it was more of like an invitational, which we have seen attempted in the past. Um, some of the interesting tweets that I saw was that, okay, if you're hosting a tournament in a location where the gate isn't going to be uh, worth it, then, you know, just eliminate it because you're overhead. You're going to spend more time, more money on trying to make it work than money than you'll generate. It's about ROI. I mean, tons of other people have done it before. Hearthstone did it with their invitation, I think, in Mali- Malibu. In Malibu? Or, no, it was in, like, Jamaica. The Bahamas. Or Bahamas. Bahamas, yeah. 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 Also, uh, YouTube is working closely with Clash Royale. Yep, that's another game that they've kind of gone deep on. Um, I know a bunch of the guys over there are absolutely addicted to it. Um, uh, what is it? Lester like goes out clubbing or something, and then uh, he'll drop like a hundred bucks just to play Clash Royale. <laughs> it's like screw bottle service. Let me just buy those cards. Clash has also done pretty well. Um, and then on, what, uh, I guess the final corollary is that uh, before we move off Face It, they had another announcement today which was that they uh, partnered with Snipe TV to add multi-perspective streaming. Uh, the official announcement was the integration of Snipe TV streaming technology gives the community an all-new way to enjoy watching Tier 1 players compete against each other by seeing the action directly from multiple in-game perspectives and provides them with the possibility to learn and improve. So this feels like what, like multi-Twitch? So this is, does this give, I don't know, does this give the consumer the opportunity to switch views or does it give the broadcaster the opportunity to switch get enhanced no i mean the broadcasters already can switch views i feel like this is just allows multiple viewpoints for the consumer that's cool yeah it's a swedish company that out of stockholm i think they've integrated with a couple other companies before um so anyway so good stuff out of face it good stuff out of youtube um great to see counter-strike keep doing well um, and then I guess, like, well, before we move off of leagues and third-party tournament organizers, one of the big news, again, coming out of last week was that um, the, uh, MLG will be the main partner for the Halo, World, the, the Halo Championship Series in 2018. Um, MLG had a really strong run in the uh, mid to late 2000s of running Halo tournaments. It was kind of like the backbone of their esports offering. Um, there's a rich history there. Um, previously, ESL was the uh, main main partner. Um, they will be involved next year, but primarily it will be with through their Australia vertical. Um, so I think that again, like you know, if we're going to step back and look at it from a macro perspective, when MLG was purchased in 2016, um, you know, everybody kind of stated like, oh, it's Activision. You know, why would other publishers want want be willing to trust them to operate the tournament circuits? And now it's kind of like we're looking at it, okay, going into 2018, MLG is operating COD on behalf of Activision. A large part of their team is operating Overwatch on behalf of Blizzard, which again is part of their family, but they also have Gears of War, and they also have Halo. Um, and I believe Gears of War is now what, like Tencent through Epic? Yeah, Tencent I think owns part of Epic, like 25%. Okay, yeah, and then the other one is Microsoft with Halo. Um, So they have the three biggest FPS titles. Well, actually, not really. I mean, they have three big FPS titles for consoles. Um, You know, we'll see if PUBG is now going to be one of those top three. Yeah, I mean, PUBG probably Battle Royale is more than than genre. I mean, so for me, this announcement, I mean, I think it's great because I watch a little bit of Halo, 
when it was still on MLG, I haven't watched anything with e- ESL. I mean, we all, you know, there was a fiasco last year with, with like the meme of like the empty house, even though it was an overflow room, it was still pretty, pretty weird. Um, that wouldn't happen with MLG. Yeah, I mean, I think they were pretty adamant about running it on their terms. I, and it's, you know, I think they're going to do a great job. Um, I have, you know, a lot of faith in the team over there. Um, I think ESL also did a commendable job, but they had three years to kind of achieve the growth. And from what we've seen, you know, Halo didn't really peak when other titles grew a lot. Um, again, they're working with Halo 5, which I think came out in 2015. Um, and it's one of those games that wasn't really future-proofed. So, you know, you're not working with a product that's, you know, as shiny and as specialized as the esports titles that have come out in 2016, 2017. Um, but again, you know, I think MLG is going to do great things. I think they have a large history they can tap into, and I think the community was clamoring for it. So as a fan of Halo esports, which you are, right, how... Does this make you excited? Like, is this a good thing for a fan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm excited because it's, you know, the storylines that you're going to be able to tell are going to be so much deeper. I think that, you know, it's, you're not really doing like a white label production. You're working with a bunch of people who care about the community. You know, the community is the big winner here. Um, You know, they wanted this and, you know, 343 delivered. Um, And I think that it's, you know, I think it's going to be a win all around. Great. So let's move on to our next story. Uh, we talked a lot about the NBA and their esports plans in previous weeks. Last week, uh, we spent a, a large chunk of that, but there was kind of a reinstation. There was an article on ESPN that kind of reinstated what already was mentioned, but it mentioned some interesting tidbits with regards to sponsorship sales. So bas- basically, it comes down to that the NBA allows the clubs per- themselves to sell ads in the virtual universe. So they work, they're working together with NBA 2K, with 2K, uh, who has been, Take-Two has been very, very helpful, and they work very closely with NBA, much better than EA does with a lot of FIFA leagues. Obviously, with FIFA, there are tens of leagues going on at the same time. With the NBA, you just have the NBA 2K. But teams can sell patches on their virtual jersey within the game, a logo on a team's basketball court, and signage around the arena. Each team will be responsible for controlling its own virtual signage, but the league does have to approve of the sponsor within the game. Obviously, some categories will be exclusive to the league. A, a good example is that Nick's sponsor Chase and their new jersey sponsor Squarespace will have presence in the virtual arena that the Knicks gaming team will be in. Uh, and the arena will not be called MSG. Uh, it will be called probably something with a sponsor. So this is really cool as I think it's the evolution of where we'll see eSports sponsorship go to. We'll see the publisher, as eSports becomes more and more of a revenue driver and publishers see the revenue in it, we'll see a lot more risks like this. Yeah, I think it's a great oper- it's a great way to turn a sponsor into a hero sponsor just to give them a lot of surface area in every aspect, you know. You're in the arena, you're on the team jersey, you're in the game, um, you're, it's a great win for the sponsor, I think it's a great win for esports, um, you know, especially if it's going to help support the infrastructure that's being created for all the players, um, big fan of that. Um, kind of like on a side note before we go too far away from basketball, did you see the uh, LeVar Burton, or is it LeVar? LeVar Ball. LeVar Ball's announcement today. I thought it was brilliant. 
I, th- I, I, I agreed to. I mean, the guy is out there a little bit, but again, it's like, you know, he's basically sidestepping the NBA. I doubt he's paying attention to what esports is doing, but I think he's seeing the same problems that we are. So just for the listeners to uh, who haven't read the article, uh, LeVar Ball announced that he is starting a league where he is giving graduate of high school the opportunity to play in his league without going to college. So previously you would have to go to college or, or you know, for a year at least, or you have to play abroad. He says, you know, you have all this talent that doesn't want to go to college, they want to play against, against these great quality players. They know they're going to get drafted by the NBA. Let them play here for a year. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's kind of a situation of skate to where the puck is going, not where it's at right now. I wouldn't be surprised if there's conversations right now in the NBA office about the potential liability that the NCAA is going to become in the next few years. And, you know, they'll probably never willingly endorse LeVar Ball's league, but I think they're probably going to be happy to have options to draft players from somewhere else. You know, the NCAA is going to flex their muscle and... At the end of the day... But it's not college. What can they do? Well, they can... You know, they're going to flex their muscle. Obviously, negative PR surrounding the league. These type of stories. Uh, LeVar Ball will become a hit person, you know. Because if LeVar Ball gets... Who I think is... I mean, the passion he has for his family is incredible. And I think he's getting too much flack. But if he, his name gets put in the drain, then the league falls. Because right now, people know it as, like, LeVar Ball's league. Yeah. Yeah, no, anyway, I thought that was interesting. So, you know, I'm waiting for that LeVar Ball video game, and then <laughs> we'll see. What is it, BBB basketball? Yeah, it's like big baller brand. Um, so the next story is we don't really f- focus on game releases, but this one is so big that we have to. So Arena Valor, which as far as the player base is the most popular game in the world, is finally coming to North America. It got released two days ago. So the mobile MOBA, which is very reminiscent of League, has over 200 million registered players and regularly hits 80 million daily active users. I think the number of players that play Overwatch is like 40 million. There's, uh, I think the last number I saw was 35 million, but that doesn't. that's not active players. That's people who have bought the game. Yeah, so this is... Ridiculous, 80 million daily active users. It's like bigger than the population of Germany, right? Germany is what, 80 million? This is bigger than Germany. And then just to give an example of how far um, Arena Valor is willing to go, um, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, the Joker, and other DC Comics characters have been licensed for the game to be heroes. I've played a little bit of of the game. I don't like MOBAs. I thought this was pretty cool. Um, I did not play with Batman. I believe you have to buy him in the game, but I, uh, I, I definitely played against and with, like with Batman on my team. And that was pretty interesting to see. I mean, I've seen, I've seen too many licensing deals go south in esports. I'm just thinking back to Infinite Crisis, which was, you know, all DC characters. But again, like, obviously this game has like, they're willing to spend money to promote it in, um, in the U.S. by licensing these characters. Um, I mean, it's a huge game. I'm really curious. And again, like, I don't, I'm, whenever I hear of Arena of Valor, I compare it to, what is it? That super evil Megacorp game? Vainglory. Vainglory. And I just haven't seen Vainglory take off. I've seen that the numbers have gone up. 
but I don't. But I do think that the the space for a mobile MOBA title is still wide open. So here are the differences between Vainglory and Arena of Valor. So Arena of Valor, we haven't mentioned it yet now, but we've mentioned in the past, is owned by Tencent Games. They developed it, which is the biggest company in gaming and like the tenth biggest company in the world. So. They have obviously have a lot more money than Super Evil Mega Corp. That just recently did another round. Yeah, they're like, I mean, they took in 19 million in their last round, Super Evil Mega Corp. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the user base of Arena of Valor, even though it's primarily Chinese, Asian, and a little bit European, is dwarfs anything Vainglory does. So this can be a game, even if it doesn't succeed in the U.S. This can be a game that even from an esports title, can be extremely successful in China and can build an ecosystem there without ever being successful in the U.S. So it'll do really well. I think it has the potential, if any game has the potential, of breaking through and becoming a, 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 a Tier 2, Tier 1 esports title, which is mo- like a mobile title, which, which can be a Tier 1 or Tier 2 esports title. It's Arena of Valor. I do have to say I played a little bit, and I'm not a big Mo- MOBA fan, it is a little clunky playing it on mobile, but to be fair, they have done a tremendous job, and I played a little bit of Vainglory before, and this definitely feels a lot smoother. Yeah, and I think it's also kind of feeds into our next story. Like, this is definitely part of, part of our next story, is just the massive year that Tencent had. Uh, Mo, I think you, like, pulled some numbers. You're a big fan of the company. I am a huge fan of Tencent. Uh, I have to be because if I'm not a fan of Tencent, uh, like 50% of all gaming companies, I'm not a fan of then. So they generated 51.6% of China's online games revenue in Q3 of 2017. So this is according to iResearch China, which is a very uh, renowned research firm out of China. Just to give an example of where the second and third place ended up, NetEase came a distant second with 13.5% of the revenue, so not even half, a quarter of that. Um, Well, Perfect World took third with 2.3% of the revenue. So, and just mobile gaming accounted for 65.7% of online games revenue in China, which makes sense because Tencent owns the mobile market pretty much. Yeah, so in addition to their number one property, which they own in the U.S., I think is... uh Tencent bought Riot Games in, I think, 2011 for an initial uh, payment price of $400 million, and then I think they eventually ended up buying the whole thing for way more. But um, Tencent owns Riot Games. And then their other one w- that they purchased, I think, this year was that they own Supercell. And Supercell was 2017's highest-earning mobile publisher, um, which is, like, you know, ridiculous. It's like, you know, they own the number one PC title, they own two of the most popular mobile games. Um, they like, own a stake, 25% in Activision Blizzard. Yeah, and they own, a, what is it, 25% in Epic Games, which just has a smash hit with Fortnite. You know, maybe a month and a half ago, we were raving about how awesome PUBG was, and then Tencent came in and basically was like, well, you know, we'll duplicate it, and they did, honestly, probably a better job. Well, they own a distribution rights of of PUBG in China. Yeah, I mean now they own a uh, you know even a small percentage of PUBG, but again, these guys just own everything and I mean they've been hitting home run after home run after home run. What is it? The last week's statistic was that you know they're more profitable than Facebook or something or they're larger than Facebook by market know. cap. I think they're larger than Facebook by market cap. Somebody fact check me on that, but I think that's Tencent close. wants to be the Disney of the new generation and they've been doing incredibly well because Disney 
with all their acquisitions, it's all old content. Like they just bought Fox, which is all like TV, which obviously won't die. And you can make a tremendous business out of having a Netflix competitor, which is extremely well. But if you, if you want to take it a step further, it needs to be about games. And Disney hasn't been doing that well in that regards. Yeah. I mean, what is it? They shut down. um, What was that game that they were supporting for a long time? Infinity? like with the with the little characters yeah, yeah yeah i mean that that was that was pretty you know that was just a money grab that's not you that's not a legacy game what's interesting to see is i think tencent will continue to acquire these 10 25 stakes in all these big companies because it is practically impossible for a publisher to get their games released in china um, if it isn't through Tencent, because they own the biggest distribution platform with Wii Game. Yep. So every big publisher that wants to get into China, they either have to use Steam, which is how it doesn't have the same user base, or they can go to Wii Game, and it's just a matter of... Isn't Steam operated in China through Perfect World? I think so. Yeah, and Perfect World is 2.3% as opposed to Tencent's 51%. Yeah, so it's it's just a make you you're you're a you're a PUBG, you're a blue hole and you wanna wanna, you know, bring PUBG into China, you have to cut an exclusive deal with Tencent and most likely Tencent comes with an offer you can't refuse. Yeah, I mean I think I think the parallel to this in North America right now is how Steam takes twenty five percent of all the revenue of all the titles being sold on their platform. But Tencent does at uh, Steam doesn't really valve they have a couple games obviously which are really big. But they don't nearly have the same, uh, you know, reach or the same number of game studios that are doing really well. Yeah. All right. And so our final Tencent story of the day, the uh, Tencent podcast brought to you by Tencent, sponsored by Tencent, presented by Tencent. Tencent, sponsor us, please. (laughs) (laughs) Please. Um, But no, it's... uh, uh, L, uh, League of Legends released their official numbers for 2017, and um, okay, these are numbers coming from the publisher, from the developer, so they should be taken with a grain of salt. But I thought it was some uh, there were some interesting numbers out there. Um, for 2017, they had 545 pro players in their ecosystem, uh, 109 teams, 13 leagues. Um, they gave they went into some in-game statistics about you know longest game, blah blah blah. And then they went to viewership. Um, so they had the midseason invitational had 364 million unique viewers, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and uh, Rift Rivals had 8.3 million concurrent viewers. It, they, their events generated 200 million daily unique impressions over all five events. And then their world championship. Their world championship featured 144 pro players. Uh, that represented 28 different companies. Um, and they said that 80 million unique viewers tuned in for one match, which was the SKT RNG semifinal. This world championship was played in China, and the SKT RNG semifinal was a match between a Korean team and a Chinese team. RNG was the furthest, this was the Chinese team that went the furthest. So there was they had the most amount of, you know... Um, uh, hype within the region of the tournament. Uh, 1.2 billion hours viewed online. The prize pool was $4.9 million. And there were 57.6 million unique viewers for the finals. So not quite as big as the semifinals. It was kind of an awkward time for North America. Um, and I think it was two Korean teams, which it, 
which was kind of expected as well. Yeah, just with a huge disclaimer to these numbers. I mean, obviously we see growth throughout all of these numbers or almost all of them. But a big disclaimer should be that a large part of the numbers, particularly for Worlds, are driven by Chinese viewership. Yes. And Chinese viewership, and not to Riot's fault, because it's very difficult to find out, is notoriously unreliable. Yeah. There's a lot of interest in China that kind of bump up viewership numbers. So again, everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. I do think it's fair to say that it is the world's largest viewing audience, um, just by population alone. It's still unclear, um, you know, how much larger it is than everything else. And I did, there was a bunch of discussion on Twitter about it today, about how they didn't really break it down to a granular enough level to really understand and compare. But again, it was an event that was in China versus an event that I think last year was in um, the United States. Yes, 2016 was in, in L.A., yeah. But to be fair, every sports company does this, not even Riot. Like, they bring out numbers. Obviously, Nielsen, their numbers are not are probably more reliable than these Chinese numbers, but they're not super reliable as well. They're, they're very much a, a guess science. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to move on from the Tencent portion of our podcast. And I believe Mo wants to dig into his European heritage by talking about football. Yeah. So we already talked before about interesting sponsorship and activation opportunities. And I just saw this and this is very unique. So we're, we're sorry for people who don't like uh, soccer or, or football as it's supposed to be called. But we're going to have two football esports stories or gaming stories more in general. So the first one is that FIFA launched a unique digital fourth kit with top teams. So there are three actual real life kits uh, and a way, a home away and an alternate kit. So they launched like a, a unique type of kit for four top teams. So these teams are Man City, Juventus, Real Madrid and my former employer FC Bayern. So I'm, all, I'm very excited to, uh, for this to finally have come to fruition because it's been in the works. And um, these kits will be available in packs, and they can be obtained directly through the uh, FIFA Ultimate Transfer Market and through FIFA Ultimate Web and Campaign app on iOS and Android. So this is really cool for a variety of reasons. Number one, it's a way for these teams, these sports teams, to engage with the FIFA audience even further. Um, it's a, a great way for them, for both them and the publishers to create revenue, because if you're a fan of one of these four teams and they're all really big themes, you're going to buy packs until you get that deck hit. And the foot product makes way more money than FIFA game sales make these days. So that's, that's incredible. And I mean, you're seeing that being replicated with Madden, with their Madden ultimate team. And I also think that we'll get to a point where these kind of un- unveilings might drive uh, jersey sales of their own. I mean, if you have a Fort jersey, you all of a sudden, you know, if you're a big big Bayern fan, you're play. That's your favorite jersey to play with in game. You might buy one one or two of them uh, if you're a hardcore fan. And I think if we're looking even more into the future, we might see a point where sponsorship dollars. If you if you have a big fourth kit that's digital. You might add a sponsorship value to that. So when you're talking with your jersey sponsor to renegotiate your contract, you might say, hey, how about you add another X amount of X amount of dollars because we have this wide reach with our fourth kit. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of take a step back and even like look at how things were in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. You know, okay, jerseys became popular because there really wasn't another 
awesome way to show support for your team, right? But if you look at it, it's a physical item that you wear that, you know, may not kind of, you know, you maybe wear it once or twice a week. You wear it to the pub when you go watch the game. Um, You wear it on game day to the office. Then if you compare that to, you know, how a 13-year-old views soccer right now, um, you know, if they're a fan of a team, you know, they're spending hours upon hours playing this game. And for them, it's almost more, there's more value in having that jersey digitally as opposed to physically because it's there when they are supporting the match and it's providing the value in the exact point in time when they want to, um, when they're interacting with the club. Yeah, absolutely. And you can cater to the direct FIFA audience. I mean, FIFA obviously skews younger than the general soccer audience because if only for the reason that you, that, that it's primarily 40 years and under. So I don't know the exact numbers, but it'll be under 40 years for sure. So because of that, you can do interesting stuff with this jersey. I mean, you, it's literally digital. So you're not even bound by the physical limitations. I mean, it just becomes such a cost-effective way to drive, you know, value and whatnot. It's not. Yeah, and right now it's exclusive, but believe me, three, four years from now, every single team will have a unique FIFA jersey. Yeah, and I think it's a huge win for the players to, or for the fans too. Um, all right, let's go. To, uh, let's go to our final story. I believe it's another soccer story. So, Mo, I'm going to let you handle this one as well. Yeah. So. Uh, Hertha BSC, which is a Bundesliga team, has become the first uh, Bundesliga club to uh, form their own esports academy. So the top team uh, out of Berlin has partnered with the Stark Esports Agency, which is a a local esports agency, and they're focusing on FIFA players. So basically, uh, the new year, they'll have tournaments, scouting events, and they'll focus on players between the age of 12 and 18 scout them and then have a real life academy um, where they you know train these players to become better at FIFA insurance firm AOK Nordost who already has is already a sponsor of Hertha BSA will uh, have a financial contribution and will work closer with them on this academy they're definitely not the first soccer team to do this uh, local Dutch uh, soccer team Heracles I think, which is really not a, a team that makes any splashes. They have their own FIFA Academy, and it sounds really big, but honestly, it's just local events uh, that drives you know a couple a hundred, a couple hundred fifty local youth that likes to play FIFA, and you'll eventually get you know one or two, three of them, um, make them ambassador, have some type of contract with them, and have them play for your team and train them. It's a really great way to further engage the. 12 to 18 year old because when you're under 12 every player still has potential to play for 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 Hertha if you're a Hertha fan you um you know it's not for most people it's not clear enough whether you make the cut whether you're uh, if you're not a super talent whether you can make it into those youth teams for for regular soccer so when you're 13 and 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 you you know you realize that it's not in the it's not there for you a lot of these players you know they do other stuff they play. They all of a sudden becomes become fans for their local local amateur team, and they only you know they they don't engage with the with the professional club as much. It is a great way to continue that engagement throughout the uh, life cycle of the youth player. 
So I think this is kind of like the end of our, the formal part of our show. I'm not uh, as familiar with, you know, the politics of soccer in Europe as Mo is. So I'll let him handle that one. But what else, like, kind of stood out to you this week? Any trends or anything interesting? Um, let me think about it. I just finished my story. But uh, how about you, Anton? I'm sure you have something. Yeah, there is a couple. Um, so one, I saw Nate Nanzier, the commissioner of the Overwatch League, just did an interview over in China, and they were talking about their future plans. And if um, things are going to be, be a success for them in 2018, they said that they will consider allowing more teams to join in 2019. So it's interesting to get a timetable on that. The other two things that I've kind of seen or heard rumors about, again, this is all coming from social media, was that the Overwatch League is going to get Anders, no, Semler. They're going to get Semler to cast uh, the league. And then there's also rumors that Crumbs is also going to cast the league. And that's interesting because Semler is coming from Counter-Strike to Overwatch and that uh, Crumbs is coming from League to Overwatch and that what there was another caster. His name began, began with a Z. Um, Slasher was super outraged about this. Um, and that he wasn't invited to cast the game despite being a member of the community for two years. So I do think that, you know, part of the Overwatch League, you know, their marketing plan is let's get player, let's get casters from other games so we can bleed off their audiences into our competitive league. That's interesting. I, I don't know if that's their direct marketing. Um, you're, you're probably right. But I think also they're looking for those audiences or those casters that go beyond the game, that are just incredible at what they're doing. Uh, Semler definitely is is an incredible CSGO caster. I don't know about Crumbs. Crumbs is super popular. I mean, they call him Prophet Crumbs in League of Legends because, you know, he's uh, arguably one of the most accurate predictions for tournaments. So if you give them, you know, the next month and you train them in Overwatch and they can, they can you know, they can just become great commentators and casters and i think that's really what overwatch is trying to do they are really trying to create a one-of-a-kind production for their league yeah um interesting that was an interesting one another one that was kind of you know i've just been hovering around a lot was uh, unicorn um so they partnered with mgm resorts international today or maybe it was the 18th um they lost uh, licenses to operate in a bunch of different countries because one of their chief partners, who I believe gives them that license, is basically shutting down. And they say that they have a plan to basically, um, you know, move beyond that. I think one of the other things that they hinted at is that, you know, they're hoping that, you know, their cryptocurrency, Unicoin Gold, um, will kind of supplant the, ne- the, ne- the need for a partner in the sense of traditional sports gambling. And also, I think I saw this week that their cryptocurrency was actually up 25%, which, you know, is probably another big win for them. Yeah, but after it was down. I mean, it's, it goes up, it goes down, but it's like, okay, right now it's up. So, you know, win for them. Uh, so I have, a, I have another kind of rumor and tidbit. Take this with a grain of salt, but Daniel Ahmad, who is one of the best followers on Twitter, uh, focuses on the Chinese gaming market. Zhug? What? Zhug or whatever yeah, his name Zhug is. X. Yeah, He's great. He... he um, he said that uh, a game called Timo's Adventure has been approved for sale in China. Riot Games is mentioned as the developer and the publisher, and it's going to be a PC game. Timo, for people who don't know, is a League of Legends champion. Um, it apparently is the um, the GPC, which is kind of their their um, 
rating system. So just saying like, hey, this game might might come out. We want you to rate this. Maybe we'll get an announcement. Uh, maybe it's like an expansion or something like that for League. It doesn't need to be an entirely new game. But it's interesting to see uh, Riot potentially come up with new IP. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't think it's Timo's... If this is true, Timo is a character in the Riot IP universe already. I mean, like new, new IP as new, a new game. Yeah, or... okay, sorry. I'm being granular. You're right. I'm being a dick. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, Timo's a super popular character. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, honestly, it's like he's what Mickey Mouse is to Disney, Timo is to Riot. And it's, you know, you, know, you had Mickey Mouse's Adventure, which was a great game in the 90s. And then now you have... Uh, Timo's Adventure in the was 2010s. That PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 1? Uh, it was 2000s actually. PlayStation yeah. 1? It was one of those. I think it was in the 2000s, Mickey Mouse Adventure. It was awesome. I remember the graphics because I think it was one of the, the the initial level was hand drawn, which is very reminiscent of like Cuphead. So that, yeah, that was really cool. Underrated. Definitely. Um, yeah, no, and I'm kind of like scanning through other stories that happened this week. Came out that a professional poker player was one of the investors into Envious. I thought that was interesting. That was reported a while ago. It just got new wind by the media. Yeah, but I, okay. Uh, now Mo's being a dick. Oh, and then another one. Um, sorry, final story of the day, I think, for us, is that two ex-Zynga executives raised $15 million for their new gaming studio, which is Manticore Games. Um, Big... Bitcraft Esports Ventures was part of the round, um, and the idea is that they're going to make content as well as an esports title. So they're basically trying to do both at the same time. Um, they have a pretty good track record, and you know, I'd lo- I mean, I would love to keep get more information on what's going on right now because again, you're seeing a lot of the people that invested in content and into stats basically try and move one step further up the food chain or higher up the food chain by investing into game development. Um, we saw that with Tobias. We saw that with Diabol- Diabotical, with Too Good. We saw that with Walshy, with his game. Um, so, you know, okay, how do you make a true esports title and not become another shoot mania? That's the problem that people are trying to solve right now. This is really tough. Investing in a game studio is completely different than investing in a esports company or company that works with esports a lot of these esports focused investment funds or funds that have invested in esports previously completely understand the esports landscape so they know when an investment makes sense and when the chance of an roi is high honestly they don't know a lot about the gaming i mean i feel like if you gosh it's like i I almost feel like the gaming industry is a little bit like the restaurant industry where it's like super volatile and you can have a hit that'll last for maybe three or four years and then it'll disappear. Like, you know, Riot Games, I feel Riot and Blizzard, you know, that's the outliers that are successful. You know, the graveyards are littered with, you know, tons and tons of publishers and game developers that just couldn't, you know, even get beyond one type. Yeah, and also, I mean, these guys are Zynga, former Zynga members executives so zynga was a particularly type of game studio that was incredibly successful with a a niche so it's a one-trick pony yeah i mean they also came from ea but again yeah like it's i i don't think that i am qualified to review their track record but again it's interesting that bitcraft for me participated in this round yeah um gosh and then the final one not esports related but magically 
After $2 billion in venture capital, they unveiled their all AR headset. Are you following these guys at all? Magic, Magic Lee? Magic Leap. They got oh, six hundred. Yeah, yeah. They got six hundred and fifty million from Google. Then I think you know overall they've raised two billion. They've been in stealth mode for like four years. They saw Oculus come and go as like you know the pretty baby of Facebook, um, and then now it's like um, they are finally releasing their SDK in twenty eighteen. It looks cheesy as hell, but like and I read a portion of the Rolling Stone expose on it. The way that it was described is it doesn't hurt your eyes, so you can keep it on for long periods of time, which is a problem with many VR headsets. And then another one is that, you know, they're, they basically shoot lights into your eyes, and the objects look like they're in the real space with you, which we've heard from a ton of different people. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious to see what will actually happen in 2018, because this has been one of the most hyped and stealthy companies for a while, and we've seen a lot of whiffs with VR. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what the what the reception and the actuality of that will be after, you know, we had Google Glass, we had Oculus VR. Um, you know, what is what did that $2 billion actually get the consumer? Yeah, I mean, this is an AR headset, right? Yes. So I'm a proponent of AR. I am not a proponent of VR. I said I would have VR because I own a PS VR headset and it was the worst dis- buying decision I've ever made. That's rough. Yeah. Um, I think AR has so much potential from sports to entertainment to just general life and VR really is a personal experience. So I'm excited to see how how they are going to attack the market. Definitely. All right. So I think that wraps up our show for today. Thank you for making it all the way here. Um, and, you know, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Joker Can't Spell. And Mo, where can people find you? You can find me at M-R-E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N. And thank you for listening. <laughs>